0: I find that you can always learn something new in science, and it's really the whole world is about science, and it relies on science. I love science, and I think I can be a scientist, and I want to.
1: I love science. Obviously. I'm a science teacher, and I host a science podcast. But I promise you, my students love science too. Yet so often, science has been on the chopping block. While English and math were always essential, Science seemed to be more of a nice to have. And on this very show over the past few years, we've talked about science as an underdog, a curriculum that just hasn't gotten its due. But what if that theory doesn't hold true anymore? What if science isn't an underdog? What if science was a superhero? As problem-based learning moves from niche strategy to proven philosophy, science suddenly seems to be at education's vanguard. And science has had a long head start with interdisciplinary learning. Science, by its very definition, is about wondering and noticing and thinking. And it might just be the glue that holds education together. So who better to discuss this with than the experts themselves? My students. Yes, we're hearing directly from the source. And who else is truly in the know? Elementary educator Kate Bala, who's gone from someone who didn't think about science much to a teacher using science in nearly all of her lessons every day. Speaking with guests like Kate has been a joy and a privilege. I've learned so much, and I hope you have too. And today I have some pretty big news. This will be our final science connections podcast, but it won't be the last time we connect on important conversations in science education. At the end of the episode, I'll share some details about what's next. With that, welcome to science connections. Let's talk about science as a superhero from the people who really know what's working and what's not, my students. Hey Gabe. Hello. Thanks for coming. Are you ready to be ninth grade?
0: Probably not.
1: No? mm Somewhere like, somewhere maybe, you'll, how about like advanced eighth grade?
0: Possibly, if yeah. it had more science.
1: More science? Okay, mm-hmm. well that's, that's great because that leads me to my first question. What about science do you find the most fascinating?
0: I find that it can always, you can always learn something new in science and it's really, the whole world is about science and it relies on science, Um, yeah, and I love biology, probably the number one. is probably chemistry.
1: Has science or learning science or studying science changed your opinion on who can be a scientist at all?
0: Um, I think anybody who enjoys science could be a scientist. I guess you have to enjoy math a lot too, which is a little hard sometimes, <laughs> but, um, I love science and I think I could be a scientist and I want to.
1: I, I agree. I agree. Um, matter of fact, I think in many ways you already are. Do you think science has the power to change the world?
0: Yes, I do. Um, like I said before, it's the whole world is based on science, and science is everything, and all the time something can be discovered that's new, and or something could be proved wrong that everybody thinks was right at a time. Like, the world is flat, or the the universe revolves around Earth.
1: If you can give a piece of advice to science teachers, or to schools, about science education for... For students, like what would you say or what would you change um, to make it fit more how you think it would be done or how it could be improved?
0: I think science, you learn better from it hands on, not just like a textbook. Um, and it's a lot more important than people think because even math is about science, history and science are somewhat related, and I think it's underrated among teachers and schools.
1: Okay. Do you do you think we teach it teach enough science? Do we think we give you enough science in school? Mm,
0: I wish it was the full year.
1: So one semester is not really a lot. No. Yeah, you would do a whole year.
0: Uh huh.
1: Hey, Michaela. <laughs> hey. Hi. How are things? Yeah. Have you ever had a teacher that made science interesting, like especially interesting? And if so, like, what what did they do that made it interesting for you?
2: Um well, they made it, they made it interesting, like. I, they would tell me to keep on working like when I got distracted.
1: <laughs> that helped you that, that made it interesting for you? Why yeah. did telling you to keep working make it interesting to you when teachers did that?
2: like it showed like that they actually cared okay like on me doing my
1: work. hmm Like that made it interesting. <laughs> oh, really? hmm Interesting. I, I would I wouldn't have like I wouldn't have guessed that, but I'm so glad that I'm so glad to know that. Chris, thanks for letting me interview you. Thank hey you. What would you tell your teachers? If you can give them one suggestion, one recommendation, one advice, what would you want to say to them? Like they, they would all do it if you said, do this. This
2: is how I make this. This is how I learned how to make it.
1: So if the teacher said, I made something, and then they taught you how to make it, mm-hmm. what would be something that you would want to make? Maybe like a robot. You'd want to make a robot? Nice. So if we had a class about robotics and robots, would you take it? Okay. By the way, thanks for doing this. I know you're so busy. I'm glad your agent could get you slotted in, in here to do this. Zara, first question, do you do you think science has the power to change the world? Definitely. Why do you say that?
2: Um, Because there's so many new things you can discover. Um, and there's so many things that you could use to help um, and make it worse. Uh, like... Climate change, uh, you could find things that could potentially help uh, cool down the earth or help warm it up. And I think it really depends on how you study it and then how, or how you find uh, whatever you need and how you use that knowledge. Because just having knowledge isn't really going to do much. Using that knowledge is what really makes a change.
1: I agree. Last question. Do you feel like we spend enough schools, our school spends enough time on science?
2: No. No. Definitely not. Why not? Um, There's so much more to be able to learn from science. And um, the thing I don't like is that we don't go in depth. We don't we aren't able to even if we like something we aren't able to discover more even on our own time because either we don't have the resources or we don't have somebody who could help us and i think learning about science is really important um but we just don't have the time to be able to go in depth with it and to be able to uh, learn more and experience more
1: zara that was amazing thank you for letting me steal you from mr klein I'll send you back so you can go and be the key component of that, which is playing the bass. I appreciate you. I'm really excited to speak with Kate Bala today. She's a second grade teacher at Lowville Elementary in New York State, and she was a 2023 recipient of the prestigious Anton Banco Excellence in Science Teaching Award for elementary teachers. Kate wasn't always such a science person. She likes to say that science found her. So I'm really excited to speak with you today as we kind of wrap up the season. I'm also really excited because I I love talking to elementary school teachers that teach science because you all have such a challenging job where you have to teach all the different subjects with students who come in with all the kinds of different background knowledge and things like that. And I know you're really getting after it like with science. And so maybe we could start with talking a little bit about your background in education, like kind of like your origin story. Of Did you start in second grade? How long have you been doing it for?
3: I started teaching pre-K when I got out of college and okay. really because it was very competitive when I first started teaching. You could not find a teaching job in New York. And if you got an interview, then that was amazing. And if you got hired, that was even better. So out of college, I just started teaching preschool because there was an opening and that's, you know, kind of where I landed in Buffalo. And then life drew me up here in this smaller area. And I got a long term sub position in first grade from January to June. And I loved it. And then I literally got a call in my classroom, in this first grade classroom, for an interview at a neighboring school district for a second grade position. So this was my first real, you know, real interview position. And I remember them asking me, um, are you ready for this? Or what makes you ready for this? And I said, well, I've had all these baby steps and stepping stones. I taught pre-K and ran my own, you know, UPK classroom. I did this January to June thing. So the next natural step is a full-time position and I got it.
1: And you've been doing it ever since.
3: I have. Yeah. I did jump to third grade for a little bit, but I came back to second.
1: Is it fair to say that like K2 and 3.5 are different kind of animals since yeah. you to use the beast analogy?
3: Yeah, they're different little beasties, right? They're little beasties, and then they're a little bit bigger beasties. Um, I think that the littles, it's a, it's a different animal because you have some different challenges. You're really teaching them how to be tiny humans. And then once they figure out how to be a little bit more human, then you can sort of add on to their understanding and provide some more opportunities. So I think, yeah, yeah, they're different.
1: And you uh, have a reputation of really being intentional about integrating science into your classes, which is what I'm really excited to talk to you about. Uh, Have you always been a science person?
3: No. Yeah. No, I'm not a science person. I listen to the Amplify Science podcast, and I listen to the neuroscientists and the college professors and the doctorates, and I can identify with their message, even though I don't have like the street cred, right? Right. Um, Just because I think to be a scientist doesn't have to be a literal meaning. You know, you don't have to be in a lab and testing things because I tell my students that they're scientists. So to me, science is everywhere. Science is how the world works around us. And that's my M.O. As a teacher, I need to teach children how the world works around them. And if they have a problem, then they have to learn to figure it out. So that's that's how I, you know, view
1: science. That was beautiful. I like that statement, like what you just said just there. Like, I want that on a shirt because yeah. <laughs> I think, no, I'm serious because I think that that resonates with a lot of people because you're right. Like there's, there's professional scientists who, who do, you know, mm-hmm. science as an occupation, Yes, but you're doing science all of the time and you really connected with that. So my I'm, so I'm, I'm wondering is how did that change? Like, how did that come about? Like, how did you. Go from like you said, you you weren't a professional scientist, but you really leaned heavily into it. So how that happen?
3: Because science is doing, science is thinking, and science is learning. So I feel like in my my personal life, I am not a great cook. Okay. I am not a great artist. I am a mediocre at at a lot of different things. But when I'm in the classroom, like that, that's my spark, right? That's where I feel at home. That's where I feel like, okay, all of you little people in here, like, let's get together and let's have a party. So let's have a science party. I invite everyone to the science party because that's, really what it feels like. And you get down to this like gritty level, even with my second graders, they're eight years old, but we get down to this level where all of a sudden we're on the same page and we're learning together. I don't have all the answers. I'm not the neuroscientist. I'm not the you know the doctorate and, and college professor, but what I can do with my students is teach them ways to figure things out and then we develop these relationships with each other because we're shoulder to shoulder. Hey, I don't know the answer to that, but let's let's figure it out.
1: Can I can I ask you how did you get comfortable in that space because you you say it and it resonates with me as a science teacher. Mm-hmm. Like I have this quote that I took from one of my master teachers and someone else probably said it, but they we yeah. say that there's no such thing as failure, only data in science. Mm -hmm. So we never, you know, you know, when you, when you feel like you fail, like you feel really like, uh, but Mm -hmm. as a science teacher, we're Mm -hmm. like, no, it's just, Hey, it didn't work out. All right. We're going to try something different.
3: Yeah.
1: What would you, I guess what what I'm thinking of was what would Uh you say to a teacher who's like yourself that may, that may not come as intrinsically to them? Mm -hmm. Um, what would you say to them?
3: Go rogue just go rogue, you know. You you have to let go of the way that we were taught to teach. And that's the truth. So, we were taught to be the sage on the stage, okay? I am the deliverer of the information and you, my children, are the receivers, the recipients. I deliver my knowledge and you learn it. So, we were taught to be the holders of the information, or at least I was. So, as I started learning about the next gen science standards and the three dimensions of teaching, so your science and engineering practices, That's what students are doing. The cross cutting concepts, that's how students are thinking about science. And then the disciplinary core ideas, that's the content and of what the students are learning. Um, It it just hit home with me. And, And I thought, okay, I love teaching. This is my jam. This is where I'm the most comfortable. I have a lot of things to do during the day. I have a lot of different levels of students to teach. And the question always is, how do you do that? Every teacher wonders, how am I going to teach all of my students? Well, invite them to the science party. That's what you do. You even the playing field. You involve them in something first. You present a phenomenon. You let them wonder. You let them question. You use their talk as a tool for learning. And then you develop this huge frame of reference and generated language around a topic. And then you're ready to give them some content and and ask them to figure things out with their claims and they can give you evidence and reasoning.
1: Did you come up with the science party?
3: That's what it feels like. That's the only way I can describe it because it's like I want everyone to come to the science party. and when I do teacher trainings, I say, "Hey, welcome to the science party. That's how I start everything because it literally is the vibe of a party. It's so much fun
1: so how do you how do you do that? can you can you maybe walk us through one an example of of where you're you you do this science party like maybe a topic or a lesson that you do with students and you sure. bring all these things together?
3: Sure, sure. So one of my favorite things um, are to teach our, our life science standards because I feel like life science is hard. It's hard to bring life into the classroom, right? You can you can bring in a fish, you can bring in a toad, you can bring in a frog, and and that's sort of the old science of it, right? So the idea of content based. So let's learn about the life cycle of a frog. Okay, that's not what happens in my classroom. Sure. My students know about metamorphosis and change, but the standards go from just knowing what that circle of life is to um, a level beyond that reaches a conceptual level of understanding. So growth and development and what's not depicted in the life cycle. Well, death, you know, let's talk about death and how that changes. So one thing that I like to teach my students, and that's in our second grade standards, are interdependent relationships. So I will start a lesson and I'll start playing the song Akuna Matata. Okay. what does the second grader think of when they hear Akuna Matata? I'm asking you. Lion King. Yes, exactly. Right. And who who sings it? Nailed it. Right. Who Uh, sings Akuna Matata? Timon and Pumbaa. Timon and Pumbaa. Okay. Yes. And I start, you're really good at this. I
1: I can do second grade trivia. Don't go third grade, but second grade, I got you. I got
3: you. <laughs> so I I start that way and I sing, you know, I start and I'm singing this song to them and I'm showing them the, the picture of Timon and Pumbaa. And then I say, okay, what do you notice? So then we're sharing, you know, They're, I develop these norms, talk norms. So they know when when to raise their hand, when to listen, when not to. That's like the nitty gritty of how this all happens, but so they start saying things like, "Oh, they're friends." Okay, yes, that's good. They're friends. Um, Oh, they they need each other. Yes, that's right. They need each other. Okay, so I let all this language fly and happen. And when I hear words that I know are going to tag into the standards like friendship and depending on each other, I'm writing them on the board and making a word wall. Okay, so that's one learning opportunity. This doesn't all have to happen at the same time. Then I show them a video from YouTube on mute. And the one that I use for this is called the Warthog Spa. So what I show them on mute because I don't want them hearing any information. I literally want them organically, authentically generating their own observations because then they tag it as a frame of reference. So any new information that I add for them is going to be connected to what they have all been involved in. That's the evil playing, field, or even playing field. So then I show them. This picture of these little, you know, they're mongoose or meerkats and they're eating the ticks off the warthog. And instead of the warthog eating these animals because he's a predator, um, he's laying down and letting them do it. Okay, this is this is very shocking for a second grader. So they're completely engaged 100 percent of the time. Okay, again, language, language. What do you notice? What are you wondering? Okay, maybe we'll do a QFT, like a question formulation technique. You've used that. You've used that in, in your classroom.
1: I, I so cute. Th- I I want to ask more about that. Okay. I don't know. We're, I'm going to ask you about that because
3: that's a that's a super tool.
1: We're gonna we're gonna go there, but continue okay. because I'm really digging this uh, Lion King whole theme you got going on here.
3: Okay. Okay. So then they're again, you know, sharing things, noticing what's happening. Um, Some of them pick up that they're, you know, they're eating something off of off of the warthog or some of them can see that or will say that, oh, the warthog has really long tusks or really long teeth. And then we talk about structure and function. So sure, the warthog could be eating these animals and maybe as a predator, but why is he allowing this to happen? So then they're drawing a model of their understanding. And that's also in the science and engineering practices is drawing models. And I'm not up at the board. I am not showing them what to do. They are drawing their own understanding and then we're adding to it over time. So with each learning opportunity, they're going to go back to that wonder journal on that page where their warthog and their meerkat are and they're going to keep adding to the understanding and we're tagging in these vocabulary words as we go. So then I'm, I might stop there and say, okay, how, how do these animals need each other or what do they rely on? And then I'm going to go back to the rug and I'm going to read them a story called Best Friends Stick Together. And that story is about um, a rhinoceros and a tick bird and how they need each other. And it's a fictional story. So I am constantly leveraging the science standards through literacy through um, other content areas because that's what gets kids hooked so then after all of these opportunities so it's learning opportunity learning opportunity drawing understanding adding to the model learning opportunity learning opportunity adding to their model so then at the very end their claim evidence and reasoning at the end of this is the warthog and the meerkat depend on each other because well the meerkat eats the ticks off the body of the warthog and protects it from diseases. Um, The meerkat can clean the warthog's teeth so it doesn't get decay. The meerkat gets a full belly because he's eating food and ticks and he's protected um, by, by the warthog. Or the warthog has some scraps from an animal that he's eaten and then the meerkats can also feast on that. So I hit my standard of animals depend on each other for survival. Um, because I've laid out all of these different opportunities. Was that too long?
1: That was amazing. I was sitting here listening, like writing this down going, uh, "This, there, there, there's a lot to this. And I'm sure teachers are listening to this going, okay, okay, is there a resource on this? Did you make this up? How did you piece all of this together? Because in this, I heard science. I saw literacy. I saw uh, fiction reading. I saw you're teaching mutualism um, uh, mm-hmm. an interdependent relationships.
3: Yeah, that's the best part. They have a frame of reference. They, they have been involved in this. And then when they get to you in middle school, they're, they're going to nail it, right?
1: Exactly. This, this yeah. is now prior knowledge that they have now. I, and, and this resonates with me. It actually validates me because my students say I ruined their childhood.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because you never played Hakuna Matata.
1: No, this is this, no, it's because I tell them, the way that Disney stories should actually go if they were scientifically accurate. <laughs> so I talk about finding Nemo mm-hmm. in spot in yeah. clownfish or sequential hermaphrodites. Yeah. And so if the dominant female dies, the largest non-dominant male uh-huh. transition and becomes the, the, the dominant female. Right. And so I said, when Nemo's mom spoiler alert, by the way, for anybody listening, about <laughs> finding Nemo, I don't know if anyone's hasn't seen that movie, like earmuffs. I don't know the like nineties earmuffs. Yeah, earmuffs, earmuffs, um, <laughs> Okay, here we go. Uh, when Nemo's mom was, I think she was eaten by a barracuda. Probably it's always terrifying. Nemo's, yeah, it's something terrible, right? It, yeah. his dad should have transitioned. Yeah. <laughs> and my students sit here and listen to this and they're like, what? Yeah. And this is during our genetics unit. And uh-huh. and then I say, wait till I tell you about the Lion King.
2: Yeah. You
1: think all of those prey were gonna be thankful that another lion was born? Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, so when you're when you're talking about this, my heart was was very happy.
3: That makes me feel good. But the standards are progressive and they're banded for a reason. So this is what this is the hokey pokey. This is what it's all about.
1: Yes. How common is what you do amongst K2 teachers? Would you say?
3: I don't know because I'm busy teaching in my own classroom. Right. You know, and it's hard for me to get out and help, but I'm passionate about that. I do train other teachers because I'm so... Um, compelled because I've seen what this does for students. I've seen them—they um, ignite and they light on fire because I get to sit down sometimes. That my heavy lifting is is gone because they are so busy and so involved in what they're doing and they're reading, they're writing, and they're wanting to figure it out. That it's just it. It's a party, like I said. You know those like lulls of the party where you just sit back and look around, and you're like, "Wow, this is great." Um, that's those are my days.
1: Would it be fair to say that you have a high level of engagement in these types of activities with your students?
3: I think it's extremely high, and not every moment of our day can be that high. But they will work for you because they want that.
1: What is it about this top these topics that you think is so engaging for for little ones?
3: It's real life. it's outside their window. It's what they see when they're driving in the car. It's something they read in storybooks. It's in Disney movies. And once you teach them to use a science lens and have a scientific habit of mind and see all of this, I think that engagement takes care of itself because Neil deGrasse Tyson says children are born curious, right? We're all born naturally curious, and it sometimes is the confinement of the educational system that can knock that out of you. So he tells you in this, the, he has a video called The Most Human Activity. I love it. I show it at all of my teacher trainings. Um, it it literally kind of uh, jars teachers a little bit because he uses the language. Um, you know, we constantly teach kids to sit down and shut up, mm. right? Right. Instead of using their talk as a tool for learning and, and letting them share their their resources and use each other's experiences as resources. Because again, as teachers, we were taught to deliver the information. So there is a weird, I don't know, it's not a good versus evil because it's not an evil, but there is a weird divide between how we were taught to teach and um, how, We teach in ways that I think are most effective because kids are different today. The the world is different. There is a digital world and there's so many things that kids are combating right now. Um, COVID was a big reason. And I know I said the word and some people don't like to hear the word again, but um, that was a real thing. And I think this way of teaching students by involving them in phenomena-based learning, it combats all of those things that that happen.
1: Yeah. And, and you bring up COVID and it, it, it is a real thing. It's still a real thing. I mean, I have teachers out on my campus with COVID, so it's right. not gone. So I yeah. I'm, I think we're still, we we like to live and think that we're in a post-COVID era, but we're so yeah. very not. Um, yeah. So it's, it's still a real thing. And during COVID and following, I heard that you were actively speaking about the mental health crisis in students mm-hmm. and in teachers.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Was there anything about your experience in science that informed What you were doing and what you were talking about?
3: I think it has to. I think everything that I do has to do with science and not just the content, but the practices of science. So the way that I teach science, I think, is conducive to all other areas. You can involve students in something first before you load content. And I call it ABCD. So activity before content leads to differentiation. So I think what I, with the message that I wanted to send during the pandemic was, hey, hold on to those things that you did really well in your classroom and figure out ways to still make those things happen. So, Developing relationships is huge with science, just like it is at a party. You know, it's all about being social and you know having fun. And when you are shoulder to shoulder with someone, whether it's a seven-year-old or an adult, and you're figuring something out together, it develops this grit in both of you, and you have a trust in one another. And like you said before, um, if you fail, you're failing forward. You're you're not. F- failure. Um, Mistakes are what makes things great because that's where we learn. So I think what COVID did was just bring to light that science is about building relationships also with people. And then all of a sudden you have this like social, emotional development and, and awareness because I'm talking to them about things like bubble gum and I'm using bubblegum as a read aloud because there's a story called Bubblegum Brain, and it's about a growth mindset and stretching and growing. But then we're talking about structures and properties of matter and reversible change because those are our second grade standards. So we're going to observe the properties of the gum before it's chewed. We're going to observe the properties of the gum after it's chewed, and we're going to decide if it's still gum and if it can go back. And, and I'm happy, you know.
1: <laughs> the middle school me- teacher of me. Her gum and I was like, I was like, oh, you're, scared. you're scared. <laughs> It was. It's currently a battle that we're fighting right now. Yeah. And so I try to, I try to validate them and say, I love that you want to have fresh breath. However, yeah. it doesn't always end up in our trash can. Uh, Take it, it out is-
3: of their mouths and let them draw a model of it and name the properties.
1: I like this. I, so I, I really do. do, because it's, it's like teaching. So many times is like, it's like a keto or jujitsu. It's like you're taking someone's energy and you're like redirecting it. Yeah. And Instead of going full stop and saying stop doing that,
2: yeah,
1: giving them something to go. Let me give you something to do with that. Yeah, and it, it seems to be such a better give and take in those examples, at least in my experience.
3: That's going rogue.
1: It, it, it's okay. So, I I want to talk about that because I agree with you, but I don't Maybe. like that we feel like that. <laughs> right. You you know what I mean? Like like you're you're say, basically what I'm hearing you say is going rogue is. Better teaching practices applied in the classroom.
3: Only because I see evidence of it in my students. I don't want to sound, you know, we just met. I don't want to come in hot and say, "Hey, I'm great," but I, I see what happens.
1: But I think what you're saying is what I hear you say. is, this is not Kate. It's not you. You're. It's. I'm talking about the practices that you're applying. Mm-hmm. You're 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 applying strategies that enhance engagement, support literacy, our inner our inter. Disciplinary, transdisciplinary. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And in a way that's kind of like roguish. I mean, is that
2: well, I say it
3: because it's not common, because I feel sometimes different than than my colleagues, or sometimes Mm -hmm. it's challenging for them to to go there, or how do you have the time for that? Or or you know, how do you develop these lessons? And it's not, it's not even about the time, it's about my mind's it's about the lens it's about how i look at everything else with a scientific habit of mind
1: do you, do you truly believe that learning is enhanced in the students through these methods that you're applying like versus teaching everything in silos
3: i was saying that to myself as you were talking that you can't put science in a silo just like you can't put baby in a corner because science is everywhere so those cross-cutting concepts, patterns, stability and change, um, cause and effect. There's cause and effect in every literacy you know lesson that you do. There's stability and change in science but also in social studies and in math. Um, you know, you could go on and on about how the practices of science are common in all other content areas. So it's it's not about science enhancing everything. It's just like, let's find the commonalities and let's use the same language with students across the board and watch their understanding develop. And then they make connections that you don't even think about.
1: So when you're training teachers and you're evangelizing these is- these, these practices and talking about your students and, and seeing the difference that it makes. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: What is it that you say or do or share that helps teachers really want to try it or, or get past the hump? Like what's, what's, Mm -hmm. is is there something that you do or say, or that teachers have responded to you and said, okay, like I, I, I'm ready to go. I want to, I want to try that. Is there a tool that you do or something that you say or help help them with?
3: I mean, the way that I teach my students in second grade is the same way that I teach teachers. I'm gonna bring ice cream floats to my teacher trainings and we're going to observe the properties. We're going to determine if a new substance is formed. Um, They're going to be drawing models, and I'm going to do a QFT with them, and they're going to generate language. And then by walking them through the same process, that A, B, C, D, or presenting the phenomenon, and then figuring it out and writing a claim evidence and reasoning, there's no question, right? I just proved to them that they... Observe something that maybe they had no idea about before. And then all of a sudden they're walking away from that lesson with more knowledge and content than they came in with. And you you can't argue that.
1: It's constructivism. They're they're learning by doing. They're and they're having to root your float, which is like arguably genius.
3: They might think that's better than me singing. My eight-year-olds enjoy my singing. I don't know about, I don't know about the rest of them.
1: So when when they when they've done all of this and you've walked them through kind of a, a a teaching practice or a thought routine that really helps them solidify, oh okay, I just did this. Now I can go and do it with my students or now I feel more comfortable in being able to try it on my own.
3: Yeah, I think I think that is the difference in professional development also. I've been to PDs where I'm just sitting there listening the whole time and you check out, right? Your mind wanders, you you know, you miss something Um, So I feel like it's it's very similar to teaching in the classroom. I want you to be involved all the time. I don't want to be the sage on the stage, although I'm having a lot of fun with you. Um, You're going to do the work. You're going to do the talking and I will facilitate and be your little guide on the side. Like I said,
1: I love that you said that because I'm sure a lot of teachers can resonate with this. But when you're a teacher you, you view others teaching through a much more critical lens, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. So, cause you're, cause that's what you're a practitioner of. You're like, you have expertise in the process of transmitting information to another human in a right. way that they can receive it. Right. And yeah. so I, I always thought it just ironic where I, you know, we, we have higher education or, and it's like direct instruction for three hours <laughs> right. about, right. about differentiated instruction and in UDL. Like exactly. in, in multiple, <laughs> multiple right. what like it's just shocking y'all not see it? yeah anyways that's probably a whole other podcast to talk about yeah so you know you're in a pd and it's like oh it's two hours of someone just talking to me uh not not differentiated not anything else for for other folks um mm-hmm. and uh, I and i agree with you i think that that's that's really important um okay qfts yes can you can you Put me up on game on those. Can you educate me? Because what I'm going to do is after I learn about it right now, I'm going to go back and tell my team as if I've always known about it.
3: Oh, that's Um, a great idea.
1: Is that okay? Can I have your permission?
3: (laughs) No, because it's not for me. I didn't. I didn't come up with this. This is like this is legit. This is a real (laughs) thing um, that I just found or stumbled upon, and it's a systematic, repeatable process that you don't have to do just in science. It's it's for everything, every everywhere. So there's six main steps okay and you explicitly instruct your students in these steps and once you do that you can literally say okay friends i don't what do you call your middle schoolers do you call you don't call them friends what do you say you know what
1: i i, I say folks a lot I'm gonna you know, try I, that I, I well i say folks because it's 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 a neutral language
3: neutral sure
1: so i, I you know I want to I want to practice my inclusive language and, and so I say folks but mm-hmm. i it, it always makes you feel hokey Uh, to say, I, cause I don't talk like that, but, but I, it's just, it's just, all right, folks, let's, let's get it together. I'll call them scientists. All right, scientists. Like, let's bring it in. I, I try to make it something that's, that's affirming, but anyways, QFTs.
3: Okay. So you start with a phenomenon. Okay. You know, your standards. And you're gonna find a phenomenon that connects to your standards. And if you don't know what a phenomenon is that connects to your standards, you're gonna go on to the Wonder of Science website by um, Bozeman Science, Paul Anderson. And he lists every single um, standard on there from pre-K to 12. And there are are big lists that are clickable with links that have phenomena for each standard, okay? So that's one resource. So you're gonna come up with a Q-Focus. Okay, The cue focus is a video, a, a picture. You can do a demonstration. There's varying levels of what the cue focus is. So you're going to pick a media and you present it to students. My personal favorite thing to do is that if you play a video, to play it on mute first, just to, like I said before, just take away any content that's there and have students connect to their own frames of reference. So what you do is you have students generate as many questions as they can in a set amount of time, you can do two minutes to start off with. And their goals are to write as many questions as they can to write the whole time. And that if they write any questions, and if they're in groups, so you can do this, there's different levels of everything, but the long of the short of it is, if students are working in groups and you have a recorder, they are to write all questions as they're said. They can't change them, they can't question, they can't discuss answers to anything. It's literally just generating as many questions as they can. Maybe it's in poster form. I like to have my second graders do it on sticky notes. So one question per sticky note, and it's about this phenomenon, and it's completely open-ended. You are prompting them, what are you wondering? Okay, you let that time happen. After that certain amount of time has passed, then they share their questions. You let every single student at least share one question. You can write their questions on the board and you're going to tag their name to that question because every student wants to see their own thinking up on the board with their name on it. And you as the teacher, that automatically validates their thinking. It doesn't matter what they're wondering. Okay, You're asking them to come up with a wonder. What does Neil deGrasse Tyson say? All children are born curious. So you're you're kind of channeling this natural curiosity and it's helping to drive the lesson. So from here, there's a few different moves you can do. You can have students group questions and categorize them and come up with category titles or labels. So there you're hitting main idea, you know, and all these other concepts that are embedded in the QFT. Or you can have them circle their top three questions. You can come up with a driving question as a class. And the intent of the driving question is to inform the lesson. So as a collective class as a whole, you are determining what they're most curious about. And then that's your focus for the whole rest of the lesson. It could be an overarching phenomenon. It could be a big picture question. And then you're going to provide several learning opportunities to help them figure it out. Or it could be it could be one. It could be like the warthog and the meerkat. How do these animals depend on each other? That's what my students are wondering the most today. Okay, let's develop some inquiries to figure this out.
1: So, in in that, for the teacher who may not feel strong
3: mm-hmm. in
1: science or like comfortable, mm-hmm. how would you encourage them, like to like do something like that? And but they're like, I don't know. Yeah, it's not strong for me. What would you well, say? That-
3: yeah, that's very common. And I would say, again, you don't have to be the keeper of all of the information. You don't have to know anything when you, when you do a QFT because you're not answering any questions. The idea is to generate and develop language around a topic. The idea is to get a feel for where your students are. And you want to know what they want to learn and what are those the buzzwords in education right now, empowerment, validation, um, identity. So your students are identifying as scientists and you are validating their thoughts and their wonders and their curiosity. And that alone is a lesson in itself. So if you're wondering about content, I tell teachers, reach out to your middle school and high school content area specialists. That's what they're there for. They're the content Specialists—that's what they do all day long. Have them come into the classroom for a day. Have a meeting with them. The standards are progressive and they're banded anyway. So, like you and I are having these conversations and seeing some commonalities about how we can support each other. Well, we have an interdependent relationship right now. You know, we're helping each other figure this out for the students. Or there's a there's a million resources that are available too. It's just knowing um, where to get them. So I, I refer teachers to. Paul Anderson's website, just because it it is on the next generation science standards. And he does give little video clips on the domains of the standards. So life science, um, earth and space systems, and physical science, and then your technology. And he gives little clippets of snippets did i just make up a word did i say clip and snippet together and call it's, it, it, it it's
1: w- okay. you just made it it's a word we're gonna say okay. clippets from now on That's okay. it. well done so, <laughs> so
3: he gives little clippets on you know some background information so there's ways to get around it like I said I'm I'm not a scientist uh, you know by craft or by nature I've just learned along the way
1: when I hear that I it also for me makes me think that it develops an empathy as a you're a learner Mm-hmm. And so you're able to empathize with what a student is experiencing in real time. And I also wonder what that would look like, like if you flip it, because students don't often get to see teachers learn alongside them. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we feel like we have to have all the knowledge, but I know there's been times in class for me where students asked a question and I was like, I have no idea. It was some Great. Like, you know, question related to what I was teaching, but like, it was so obscure. Yeah. Like, I I don't know. And now I'm wondering. So, exactly.
3: That's what I, a scientist does.
1: <laughs> we're going to Google this, right. And let's see You could come up with the best answer. And then it becomes like a information literacy skill, right? Because it's like, how do I find a credible source? So we're all like racing to kind of find it.
3: And tell but me they're not all engaged. They're no, all, they are. they're all, it.
1: they're yes. all into it. And some yeah. are going to Google images because right. that's, that's what helps them understand it quicker. And so it's, mm-hmm. it's a really. Differentiation. Yeah, there it
3: is.
1: And I I just want to clarify, QFT stands for Question Formulation Technique, correct? It
3: does. And it's from the rightquestioninstitute.org. So there's a plethora of knowledge on there about the QFT. It gives the systematic repeatable process on there. And I think it can be done. I know it can be done at all levels and in all content areas.
1: Okay, good. Because I Googled it real quick. And I came up with quantum field theory. And i was like, Kate's teaching second graders about quantum field theory? Hey, oh, these I kids might are so be. advanced. If
3: there's a Disney movie or song about it, I might be.
1: Okay, I, I want to shift gears. So y- you sit on the state curriculum development network team.
3: Yeah, those are my people. I love those them. are your folks. Yes.
1: But you're the only teacher on the task force. <sighs> yeah. And I just I'm, I want to get kind of your insight on first what do you all do? Mm -hmm. And what are your thoughts about being the only teacher on, on that panel?
3: So it, I am in a group with several BOCES educators. So these are like BOCES administrators who their specialty is either science or an instructional specialist and their job, their whole day is focused on training teachers how to use the standards in their classroom. So developing resources, um, creating professional developments to turn key train back to their districts. And I, I sort of, I don't even know how I, how I got there. I started attending the BOCES meetings when the standards first rolled out at our local BOCES for science. So the science network meetings. And like I said, it just... It, it felt like home. I, I just, it resonated with me. I had an epiphany. I said, this is what I've been missing. This explains what I want to do for students. So I started being vocal and I started sharing things and I started going back to my classroom and doing something and then coming to the, those meetings and saying, hey, um, we just sang Kuna Matata and talked about interdependent relationships and my students blew me away. So the more I started talking, it kind of like caught the attention of the instructional specialist and she's not content specific. She's one person and there are several content areas. So what our BOCES does is they choose representatives that are teachers or coaches, and they send them to these meetings for that reason um, that they are at ground zero. They are in classrooms and they want them to have a different perspective to bring to the group and then bring back to the region at BOCES um, because it's, it's hard for educators at BOCES to get into several different classrooms. So I think my role, I, I like that I can talk the talk and walk the walk, right? So I can talk to you about teaching, but then tomorrow morning I'm going to be in my classroom all day long. (laughs) So it gives me, like I said this before, like now I have my street credibility, right? I have street cred because I am in that room all day with these tiny little humans, and we're doing things. And I can come back and talk, and it 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 does make sense, I think.
1: And and I'm hearing you're like it's basically you're like an ambassador that's bringing teacher voice, but more importantly, student voice into these meetings, so that they can use that information to develop better curriculum. Yeah, I've
3: never been called an ambassador before, so I'm just like thinking about that. Sure. I I can be the voice of my students because it's really, it's it's <laughs> they blow me away and I just want to share about it. I want to talk to you all day about what my
1: students did. So I I actually interviewed a few of my students yeah. um, to hear directly from them. And I wanted to share with you a couple of things that they said and just maybe get some of your feedback on it. Sure. Most of them felt like they weren't getting enough science. Yes. Um, so what do you think we can do as classroom teachers to, to bring more science into the classroom? That was an overwhelming thing that, that many of my students said is that they weren't getting enough.
3: So I think presenting those phenomenons throughout the day, right, or or throw a QFT up there, because, again, it's not just about the content. It's about conceptual understanding. So maybe they're noticing patterns in data, that science maybe they're noticing patterns um, in nature and that science maybe they're noticing patterns in a story and and that is science so it's really using the practices of science that i think brings it to light for students and then i could sit on the rug and read them a story and they think they're doing science because they're observing and they're learning and and you know we're we're trying to figure something out. So I I think it's not so much about the explosions in the classroom, right? Because when you think of science, or you have students, this might have come up in one of your podcasts. Like you have students draw what they think science is, and they're all drawing explosions and lab coats and and these people and as a scientist. And that's that's only this much of it.
1: This is true. Yeah, it, everybody wants to blow things up or cut apart frogs. Yeah, uh, that's
3: well, why? <laughs> always well, ask me
1: how to no. come in. Are we gonna mean, dissect?
3: I shouldn't say that. It, that is very, very cool. Um, however, it's not realistic. That's not what really happens every day in classrooms.
1: No, yeah, it's it's just it's just what they're exposed to in pop culture or or just the things that they've seen, but there's so much more to it, which is which is really exciting. Um another thing that came up was doing their own investigations yeah. and they wanted more time to really dig into something. So yeah, what does that tell you?
3: So I think that's, again, that's the hokey pokey. That's what it's all about. Because when you allow students to plan their own investigation, they're completely invested in what they're doing. They are naturally driven by their curiosity, They're challenged. they're developing relationships with their peers. And this is something we haven't talked about yet, that science is about collaboration, right? Scientists collaborate together, and that's a huge thing in our standards right now is collaboration. Our assessments in New York are completely different now, and they no longer um, sit students, by themselves and have materials that are secured and they only come out on testing days. We're doing something, they're called investigations. And our our third through fifth graders are, are doing them right now. Our fifth grade class is the first one to be taking them. And they're allowed to talk to each other. They work in partners together. They're observing things happening And they're collecting data as a whole. The teacher is in the classroom kind of facilitating these discussions. And this is the new assessment strategy now for science is that students are collaborating and working together.
1: Is this, wait, is this state testing? Yes. Okay. Can I, can I, since we're being fully transparent here. Yes. When I started teaching 10 years ago Uh and NGSS was like coming online, I used New York's state tests. Yeah, because they were more. I don't want to use the word progressive, but they were they Mm -hmm. were from. I I mean, in the context of education, they were more Mm -hmm. um, further down the road as far as pedagogy or assessment Mm -hmm. with uh, NGSS alignment. And then now I'm hearing New York is innovating again. Mm -hmm. Is this the mo for New York? Like is new. Is this? Has it been always been like this?
3: Maybe this is where I get the saying from. New York likes to go rogue. New York has to be different. They have to do their own thing. Even when we adopted the Next Generation Science Standards, we still have some differences because we can't just take that for what it is. Okay, Okay. I'm not sure if it's a New York thing, but it's happening right now. Well,
1: after this, I'm gonna I'm gonna be jumping on that. Is it on the website? Their state their state. Oh, oh yeah. So you're eight.
3: The eighth grade test is out there are sample questions so there's two components okay there's four investigations that all students have to do by the time they sit for the for the fifth grade or the eighth grade computer-based test so they have four investigations and a computer-based test three through five so they literally have third through fifth grade to complete the four investigations Um, and that's because some of the investigations target certain standards So there's one called, I don't even know if I should talk about this. Um, One is just more conducive to third grade standards. One is more conducive to fourth grade standards. And then two could fit in fifth. But you develop your own model for how you want students to finish that. But it's mirrored in the um, intermediate investigations and their written tests as well.
1: I don't get excited about state testing. Like, honestly, it's just I have my own feelings about it. However, it's a reality of teaching. Yeah, most but this educators. is going
3: to change your feelings because this is not the assessment that we know for what we've known. It's an assessment strategy. And the reason why these are coming out, I think the reason why, and I only know this because I work with these educators directly at the state level in my SCDN group, is that the people that are creating these assessments were in the classroom. They want their face and their their names to be um, real people in New York it's like this wall oh stay at this stay at that and and the people on the office in the office of state assessment and the offered Office of Standards and Instruction were teachers in the classroom and they have really revolutionized everything. And I'm completely drinking the Kool-Aid, you know, at the state now, because I think these people are amazing and they've made these systematic changes. It's just, I need all my friends to come along with me, you know, and make these changes, which is hard sometimes.
1: And that's why I'm excited because to hear you talk about it and to hear you talk about how much teacher voice is in this and insight of practitioners, Mm -hmm. I want to dive into it and look at it because, education is a massive system and and things happen at local levels
3: mm-hmm.
1: all over the country right so it's when we talk about changing education it's like when we say curing cancer it's right. like well that's 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 a bigger thing Whoa. like there's there's different yeah. types right <laughs> but at a local level there's there's much more control and I can try to see strategies or ideas that can help my students show what they know and if there's different versions of it or if folks going rogue like y'all out in New York?
3: Right, right. I want to see,
1: I want to see what the roguish the roguish group is doing and, and take some of those ideas back, back to the West Coast. Come to um, the
3: science party.
1: Yeah, I'm 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 all about it. I'm all about it. <laughs> Last question. Do you consider science a superhero?
3: How is it not a superhero, right? What's the definition of a superhero? It's they save the day. I literally feel like science saves the day every day in our classroom. Um Sometimes little kids are tired or they're hungry or they had a rough night or they had a rough day, but when I can give them a candy bar and tell them to smoosh it together and it's their investigation as to how mountains are made and really how plate tectonics are making mountains and they're learning that a mountain is a slow change and those are earth and space system standards, how can it not be the superhero, right?
1: I agree with you completely. Now I want a candy bar.
3: Come to my classroom. We, we can do it tomorrow. Yeah.
1: Okay. <laughs> you're amazing. I, your second graders must be so thrilled to be able to do this. And as a middle school teacher, thank you for this because all of this work that you're doing by the time they get to me, they have so much background knowledge and inquiry kind of built up that it lets us accelerate even faster. Um, I hope so. The- that,
3: that really is my hope. I hope that that that's happening. Mm -hmm. And
1: thank you for also not just keeping it in your classroom, but sharing it with other educators. You know, as I said, how education is so local, we Mm -hmm. can be so siloed even in our own schools. Like you said, Mm -hmm. you're in the classroom all day and then you get home and life happens. But taking the time out to go and share these practices and do root beer floats because it helps make a connection with QFTs, like all these extra things. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just on behalf of the teachers who are going to listen to this, thank you for sharing these resources. Is there... Are there any plugs? Um, Do you have any socials or websites or anything that you want to kind of plug just if people want to learn more about some of the things that we talked about today?
3: I'm kind of off grid. You know, I don't use social media at, at all. I use it to sign up for my spin classes, and that's about it. <laughs> but um, I do have some book resources. There's a book called um, Sharing Books and Talking Science that really transformed, like I said, the way that I view read alouds. And I think read alouds are one of our most powerful tools as educators because every teacher likes sitting down and reading to students, right? That's one of the reasons why we get into education, because we like making that connection with, with kids. And there's just some magic that happens when your students are sitting on the rug in front of you and you're reading reading to them. So capitalize on that magic and and look at it through a science lens. So sharing books and talking science. And then there. There's another book called Ambitious Science Teaching, and that talks a lot about how to use visual models and visual thinking and building understanding over time. And a lot of the things that I talked about, those talk norms, um, developing protocols and turning and talking and using that as a tool for learning, that's all from ambitious science teaching, too.
1: Nice. And as the winter and holiday season come up, folks, there you go. Add it to the wish list. Take care of a science teacher next to you for sure thanks so much for being here
3: thanks for having me eric
1: i can't think of a better final episode than this one not only are we reframing science as a superhero we got to hear directly from students my students who've been asking me to come on this podcast since day one and we got to learn how one teacher kate bala is on her own personal mission with science in new york state my journey hosting science connections has been amazing It's been an honor learning about science alongside you. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for your feedback, questions, and thank you for being part of our communities on social media. Like I said before, you're going to be hearing plenty more from me. I'll be partnering with Amplify on a lot of fun and exciting projects. I can't wait to share them with you. It's not goodbye, just see you later. And until next time, stay in the know with our social media channels, check out the Math and Literacy podcasts and catch me sometime soon on a webinar. Take care. Hey, Science Connections listeners. It's Eric again. Before we go, I want to let you know a few exciting updates. First, this episode wraps up our third season, which has been all about making the case for science in a world where science is often the underdog. We talked about everything from integrating science and literacy. If a science teacher wants to know, do their students really understand the concepts? Have them write. To modeling responsible use of ChatGPT. The kid
0: graduates from school without knowing that AI exists. They're not going to be prepared for what they face out in
1: the world. And if you missed any episodes in the series, please scroll back in your feed. There's so many great ideas and strategies for bringing more science into your classroom and school. Later next month, we'll be back with a special new episode of the Science Connections podcast. Also, be on the lookout for a few other exciting projects we've got in the works. The first is a brand new back to school toolkit for science educators. This toolkit is jam packed with resources to help kickstart a great year in the classroom. And it may include a cover letter from yours truly. You'll have to check it out. Finally, later this fall, we'll be launching a new webinar series. I'll be talking to some amazing science educators and thinkers including some names that you may recognize from past podcast episodes. This will be your chance to hear from them again and ask some of your questions. Stay up to date on all these exciting things at amplify.com/science-connections. That's amplify.com/science-connections. Hope to see you soon.